Welcome to the Arise Church Podcast. At Arise, we're a community of imperfect people, pursuing and experiencing a transformative relationship with Jesus and one another. For more information, you can find us online at ariseonline.org. Thanks for listening. Hey, good morning. That was pretty weak. Are you guys still asleep from your turkey? Good morning. I'm, I'm a little tired, too, from the turkey. We've been eating, like, nonstop turkey since Thanksgiving. Does anybody else have that, where you, like, eat and eat and eat, and you just sleep and sleep? It's been, it's been a great week. I thought I'd show a couple pictures of our Thanksgiving. This is the food we ate. We did a potluck-style Thanksgiving this year. Man, that is a great idea for those of you who haven't done that. You get some, some great things. And uh, we had to stay here this year. My wife is 36 weeks pregnant, and so um, our brother and sister-in-law came, and then we have new neighbors it was just a wonderful sort of motley crew that we spent Thanksgiving with. We had, we had such a good time. Um, so I hope that you had a, a wonderful Thanksgiving too. Um, this morning, uh, I was planning on doing a, a different topic initially, but God just really called me to the story of Nehemiah. Um, this is a story in the Old Testament. Um, not a lot of people seem to focus on, on this story. It's a short book, but um, I, I think it's a, it's a book that really speaks to us today. Um, Nehemiah is an amazing character, and we're going to walk through the story, uh, but we're going to start off with just a, a premise around Thanksgiving, since that's what we're, we're focused on right now is Thanksgiving, um, and we're going to read the story of the Thanksgiving that they had back then, um, and then we're going to go and we're going to review the story of Nehemiah and how they got to that point. So um, today's scripture is Nehemiah 27, or 12, 27 through 47, and I didn't, I intentionally didn't put the... Um, the scripture on the screen because I want all of you to, to, to dig it out and look at it for yourself. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go with what Mike does, and I'm going to ask all of you to stand as we, read, as we read the Word of God. I like that you do that, by the way, Mike, giving a reverence to the Word of God. That's something that's challenged me. All right, so Nehemiah 12, um, starting in verse 27. At the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, they sought the Levites in all their places to bring them to Jerusalem to celebrate the dedication with gladness, with thanksgiving and with singing, with cymbals and harps and lyres. And the sons of the singers gathered together um, from the distinct surrounding, the district surrounding Jerusalem and from the villages of the Nephipanites, also Beth Gilgal in the region of Jeba to Amavis. And the singers had built for themselves, had built for themselves villages around Jerusalem. And the priests and the Levites purified themselves and they purified the people on the gates and the wall. They brought the leaders of Judah up onto the wall and appointed two great choirs that gave thanks. When went to the south on the wall to the dung gate. After them went Hoziah and half of the elders of Judah, and Azariah, Ezra, Meshulam, Judah, Benjamin, Shema, and Jeremiah, and certain of the priest's sons with trumpets. Zechariah, the son of Jonathan, and Shemaiah, the son of Mattiah, the son of Micaiah, the son of Zechar, the son of Asap, and the relatives, and I'm going to skip those names because I'm going to butcher them, with musical instruments of David, the man of God. And Ezra the scribe went before them. At the fountain gate they went up uh, straight before them by the stairs of the city of David and at the ascent of the wall above the house of David to the water gate at the east. And the choir and those who gave thanks went to the north. And I followed them with half the people on the wall above the tower of the ovens, the broad wall, and above the gate of Ephraim by the gate of Yeshon, 
by the fish gate and the tower of Hanayah, and the tower of the hundred, the sheep gate, and they came to the halt at the gate of the guard. So both of the choirs who gave thanks stood at the house of God, and I met the officials with me, and the priests who were with me. And then we list the priests. And the singers sang with Jezariah the leader, and they offered the great sacrifices that day and rejoiced. For God had made them rejoice with a great joy, and the women and children rejoiced. And Jerusalem was heard, and I'm far away. I'm going to stop there. We'll read the rest at the end. I'm going to pray for us as we get started today. God, I ask that you would do in us a great work as we reflect upon the thanksgiving uh, that was had um, in the days of, of, um, of the Bible. And I pray that you would purify our hearts, help us to understand. Um, Lord, help me to speak clearly and with wisdom that comes from you. I pray that I would be less and that you would be more, Lord. I pray, Lord, as I share uh, what I have learned uh, from this book, I pray, Lord, that others would benefit from the learnings that you have taught me so that, Lord, we as a community can grow towards who you want us to be. In your name I pray, amen. All right, you can be seated. Um, just a couple of things as I get started here. First of all, I've never preached before, so you're a part of a giant experiment in my life. Um, I generally say awkward things when I don't know what I'm doing, so if nothing else, you, you might hear something that you didn't expect. Um, I'm a little sick today, um, but I'm, I'm so excited about what God has for us. Um, I want to talk a little bit about the background of the book of Nehemiah, um, and specifically today I want to walk in steps towards what happened in the day of Thanksgiving. Um, the book of Nehemiah happens in the Old Testament, and it covers the reconstruction of the wall of Jerusalem. Uh, the people of Israel were, uh, for many years, exiles and enslaved, and right before this book, they were allowed to go back to Jerusalem, but it was completely destroyed. Um, the people who had taken them over ransacked it, and they never really got around to repairing it. Um, the place was so destroyed that people really didn't have the heart to do anything, so they just kind of lived there. They also had a lot of people around them that didn't want them to become strong again, so it was pretty risky to try to make any sort of fortress. But if you can imagine, we just moved into a new house, but living in a house where you're constantly scared if somebody was going to get you, and also it was kind of it was kind of grungy. It wasn't a very nice place to live. And that's what those people uh, lived in. So that's kind of the, the background of this book. Um, the subject of this story is Nehemiah. Nehemiah was um, an Israelite, but he wasn't living in Jerusalem. He was living, uh, he was living in the, in the um, palace of the king outside of the area. Uh, he had this job. He was the cupbearer to the king. And we don't have cupbearers to kings anymore, but I thought I'd give you a little bit of background on what they do. They just do one thing. They drink whatever the king is going to drink first to make sure that the king is safe, and they give it to the king. Um, certain cupbearers also were kind of like wine connoisseurs. They would taste all the different kinds of drinks, and they would recommend to the king what to, what to drink. So this guy had a pretty nice job like a really nice job. It wasn't a super difficult job. It wasn't a super stressful job. He had a really good job. Um, so I think what happens in this 
this book is, is really crazy. Um, I'm going to go back to the first chapter. I'm just going to read a few words uh, about what happened. So this is in chapter 1. Um, this is in verse 2. And I asked them concerning the Jews who had escaped, who had survived from exile, concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, the remnant are there in the province who had survived the exile, are in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and its gates are destroyed by fire. Here's what I think is crazy, is the next part. Now, if I had heard this, and I am a cupbearer to the king, I'm probably like, that's a bummer, man. I'll pray for you. And that's it. But he didn't do that. He said, as soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days. And I continued in fasting and praying before the Lord of heaven. And I said, O Lord, God of heaven, the great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant um, and his steadfast love, let your ear be attentive and your eyes be open to hear the prayer of your servant now this day. He goes on to basically conclude that he needs to go do something about it. Which I think is remarkable. Because there's countless people before him that were in other positions that didn't do a thing, Right? But what's amazing about Nehemiah is he says, even though I have this really nice job, I don't really have to do much of anything, I want to go do something about this. So he goes and talks to the king and asks, hey, at great risk to himself, can I go help these people? I just think that that speaks to the, where we're at today. A lot of us are really comfortable in this country. Uh, we hear a lot of bad things that happen in the world. But a lot of us do what I do, and I've been convicted of this as I've studied for this sermon, is that we hear it, we see it, and then we basically do nothing about it. We just go back to our lives. So let's get back to the story. Uh, he gets permission to go to Jerusalem. The next morning, uh, he shows up uh, back at Jerusalem, and he surveys the wall. What he figures out is what they said is accurate. The thing is completely destroyed. Um, so... What he doesn't do is he doesn't sit around and do nothing, kind of mope about it. What he does is he somehow goes and convinces all the leaders of, of Israel that they need to go repair this wall. Which I also think is kind of nuts because for a long time they had lived in the city that was completely ransacked and they didn't fix it because if they did, they were going to get persecuted for it. So he somehow convinces all of these people that we need to rebuild the wall. So they start, they start building. Um. Of course, it doesn't go well, right? You know, this optimism you start off with when you try something new, it doesn't go well. Um, this guy named Sanbala, he's basically a king in the area, he decides to threaten the people. He says, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to persecute you. I'm going to kill you if you rebuild this wall. So what do the people do? They do what we do. They lose their marbles. They freak out. They say, oh, no. This guy is telling us to stop. We knew this was a bad idea, Nehemiah. Why don't you just go back and be the cupbearer, right? But Nehemiah gets down on his knees. He prays, and he feels from the Lord they need to continue. So they keep going. They have other people that try to get them to stop. And in addition, the people inside of Jerusalem are not treating each other well. Um, if any of you watched the whole um, the whole thing with dollar loan center, char charging really high interest loans. Well, they were doing that to each other. They were charging each other astronomical loans and to the point where people couldn't pay. And so then they were taking each other's children in as slaves. So they were, he was fighting the problem of everybody externally, and then Nehemiah was fighting his own problems internally. 
and people just kept getting distracted. But at the end of the day, they get results. They get the wall built, and Nehemiah uh, decides to thank the Lord. Um, what I think also is remarkable about Nehemiah and his example to us is when he got done with the work, he didn't just have a party and say, we did it. Let's go, let's go celebrate. That's what normally we would do when we went at something. What he did is he said, we need to crack open the word of God and find out what we can learn now that we're safe. And so he spent time reading the word aloud to his people. Um, a lot of you probably felt like the passage I read was a little long. One of the lost traditions of our of, of, um, church, I think, is that we don't, do enough, we don't spend enough time reading God's word together. There's something powerful about reading God's word. And they were convicted, and the people confessed their sins before the Lord. It was only after that that he finally, um, that he finally held thanksgiving. So that's the story of Nehemiah in a nutshell. So as I was thinking about what God had for me to share with you about Nehemiah, there's a few things that God laid on my heart um, to share with you today. Um, this all ties into the, to, to Thanksgiving, and that is that I think we need to be people of boldness, that we need to ask the Lord to help us to give thanks for significant things. Um, it's great to give thanks for turkey, and I'm not not saying that we shouldn't give thanks for a great meal, but I think God challenges us to give thanks for things that only he can do. And what I mean by that is it's easy to take on things in life that we know we can accomplish and then give these thanks to ourselves. But I don't think that's what the thanksgiving was going on here when we read that passage. They were giving thanks because the only way this could happen is because God did something amazing. So I have a few lessons that I wanted to share with you from this text. So the first thing is, you need to see problems as opportunities. One of the things that I thought was amazing is when I read this, that um, when Nehemiah heard about what happened in Israel to Jerusalem, he didn't see it as a problem that just needed to be there, that he needed to just let sit. He saw this problem as an opportunity to do something. Um, I've heard a lot of people refer to uh, Nehemiah as like a great model leader who we should all aspire to be like because he was just, you know, he had the right stuff. But what I realized is that he was just a dude. He was just a guy who decided to serve and God did amazing things. The only thing Nehemiah really did is show up. He didn't fight the enemies single-handedly. He didn't deal with people's sin issues himself. What he did is he, he dropped to his knees when he heard about this news, and he said, Lord, what is it that you want me to do? He saw problems as opportunities for him to grow. I find this uh, a challenge in my life to see problems as opportunities. I generally see problems as problems, and then I come home to my wife and I complain about them. <laughs> but the, I wish they weren't there. Um, that's a sad attitude when we do that, when we complain about problems as problems, because what we're doing is we're taking away um, our own front row seat to see God work. Um, one of the other things that has helped me understand uh, problems as opportunities is this, this person that has recently become a part of my life, and it's this dude right there. So I, this is my son, William. He's two. And I'm an old, 
I'm an old person now. I've gray in my beard, and people remind me of that often at work. And so I'm getting a little crusty. Well, what this little guy does is uh, when he sees yogurt, he doesn't, and, and he starts to eat it. What happens is he's a little guy, so he can't eat very well. Like mean about 50% of what's in there gets in his mouth. And so what happens is it falls on the table. So I view this as a problem, right? That there's now food on the table. Well, he, does, he doesn't see it that way. What he sees is a great opportunity to make yogurt art. And so yogurt art can be made anywhere. It doesn't matter. It can be made on the table. It can be made on the floor. It can be made on the wall. He's even tried to make it on me in the past, which drives me nuts. But there's something about children that I think is amazing that I think the Lord wants us to see. And that is that when, he, when, when we make a mess or there's a mess in life, there's also an opportunity to learn. And he's, this little guy is always learning about life and he sees everything as... And what happens is at the end of this whole thing... Uh, he, pretty soon he gets told he has to clean up. And he still views it as an opportunity, and he gets excited about it. And so I think there's so many times in our lives where when God throws something our way, when somebody tells us some bad news, we immediately get frustrated. And we immediately try to make it, go, you know, make it get better, make it go away, or just punt. Don't even deal with it at all. And I think the story of Nehemiah is an example of somebody who could have totally just walked away from the, the situation, but he chose not to. So the second lesson that I've learned from this is you need to take it to the Lord. This is an important step. So when he, tur- when he heard this news Nehemiah did, he didn't just kind of like, okay, I'm going to go fix it. I'm going to go conquer this, you know, this mess that I see over there. What he did is he said, I am going to, to, to drop on my knees. I'm going to take it to the Lord. And it says in the first chapter that he, for a period of time, for days, he just was on his knees and praying. Um, this is also something I don't do very well. But luckily, the Lord knew this, and he brought my wife into my life. And Heidi is amazing at taking things to the Lord in prayer. And she's always stopping me right when I'm trying to solve a problem. And she's like, let's pray about this. And it's so annoying sometimes because I just want to solve it. But, but she does this, and it helps me to slow down and to, to listen to the Lord. And when we try to solve problems without this step, we just make it worse. I've done this so often in my life where we just make it worse. So... I think that this is something that should be like one of those like required processes that, and I would challenge you as couples to hold each other accountable for this. When any, because most couples have like a problem solver is one of the two people. I'm the, in our relationship, I'm the problem solver. Um, my batting average isn't super good, but I sure try. And so I would challenge you to at least one of you in your home, if you don't have this person, make sure that somebody's responsible or both of you are responsible for taking it to the Lord first. This has been so powerful in, in my life. Um, I don't even think I've told you that, Heidi, how, how important that has been, that you have helped me to slow down and take it to the Lord first. Um, and I think that if he hadn't done this, I'm not convinced that Nehemiah would have solved the problem because I think he would have tried to solve it on his own power. So that's the second lesson I learned. The third thing is do the hard thing. Um, this is another kind of countercultural sort of um, attitude um, I think I've said it two or three times already that Nehemiah didn't choose to like <laughs> find a bunch of people to solve the problem or to you know pray that it gets better and do nothing. Not, not that that's wrong, but in his case, when he brought it to the Lord, the Lord called him to do something. Um, he, he was told to do the hard thing, and he did the hard thing. And one of the things I found in my life is that when I choose to do the hard thing, it changes me. 
as much as it changes the situation. If I choose not to do the hard thing, I sort of stunt my growth. I never really, I never really move forward in my spiritual life. Um, I've had, uh, I think I, at the beginning of my career, I sort of had a choice to, to go into business or to start in business for myself. And because I was young and arrogant, I started business for myself and I just got shellacked over and over and over. Um, there's a point where I almost had to file for bankruptcy uh, because I made so many bad decisions. Uh, but the Lord worked in those things and because uh, I chose to do the hard thing to dig out, he has taught me so many things. I also think this is true from a societal uh, perspective. Um, one of the things that I'm, I, I get concerned about with our country is that it seems like people don't want to do the hard things. And we talk about politics, it's always about like easy stuff. Like I want, you know, I want quick gratification. I want less taxes. I want, um, I want the government to do exactly what I need. And, and there isn't a lot of talk about what is the right thing for us to do as a country. And that's not a political statement about uh, Democrat versus Republican. It's just an observation that concerns me. Because if we don't do the hard thing over and over, uh, we're going to miss God's opportunity um, to see us do great things as a nation. So I have a video here I want to show you about uh, an instance where this country did decide to do the hard thing. And I think it's just a great example. So this is a video from the 60s. I think it's 1961 this video was taken. And um, I think this is just a great example of doing the hard thing. We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other things, not because they are easy, but because they are hard. Because that goal will serve to organize and measure the best of our energies and skills because that challenge is one that we're willing to accept, one we are unwilling to postpone, and one we intend to win, and the others too. So I love that video. Um, there's a lot of things I don't think I necessarily agree with what JFK did, but what I do appreciate about what happened there is he challenged everybody to do something that they thought was probably impossible. And I, I've... This is just an interesting event for me, so I've read a lot about it. And there was huge legions of people saying, this is stupid, it won't work, we don't even have the technology, which all that stuff was true. We didn't have the technology to go to the moon. This is at the beginning. But the interesting thing was is that JFK said, we are going to go to the moon and we're going to do it this decade, which in that case was in the 1960s. And what I think is amazing about that is, similar to what happened here, JFK sort of rallied everybody saying, we're going to do this not because it's easy, but because it is hard and because it's going to challenge us as a people. And I don't know exactly what Nehemiah said when he showed up, but I'm pretty sure that he had to do something pretty big to get these people to stop kind of um, wallowing in their sorrow about not having a city and get to work. So this has been a lesson for me, do the hard thing. The fourth lesson is expect problems. This is another thing that I hear a lot is anytime you try to do something difficult, you get problems. And then people get frustrated and they go, man, we shouldn't have ever done it to begin with. We should have just gone back to what it was before and we should have never tried. And what I've found is this is sometimes the opposite of what you need to do. So I, I threw up a list of problems of all the things that uh, Nehemiah encountered. So uh, the first one is the king might not want to let him leave. In fact, the king could get mad and just have him executed. So it was a fear. Turned out not to be warranted. The king was supportive. Um, this one is one I put in there. Like, I, he's got to wonder, like, if I show up in Jerusalem, are, is anybody even going to follow me? Or are they just going to go back to doing what they're doing? Uh, the enemies might not like it, which happened, right? Uh, 
what I'm calling voter nonsense, which is basically people who are there who were fighting with each other, stealing money from each other, all that kind of stuff. Uh, that's unexpected, but it happened. And then there was all kinds of troubles with food and getting people provisions. So at any point in this process, Nehemiah could have said, I'm just going to quit. This is too hard. I've got a good job. I'm out of here. But he didn't do that. He, he kept working on it. Um, one of the hardest things, I think, in my Christian walk is to know when to stop and when to keep going. But I think when you're doing something that you feel called on from the Lord, you need to stick with it, even when it gets difficult, even when it gets hard. Um, I think that there's more to be said about that than not, because I think more often than not in my life, I've bailed out when things have gotten hard. The last thing is be there to watch God work. Um, one of the things that Nehemiah did that I think is amazing is he didn't, he didn't do this at an arm's length. He was there with the people. He, he coordinated all of the um, rebuilding of the wall effort. He, he met with the people. He dealt with their problems. He worked with Ezra, who was sort of the effective pastor of that time. He was the priest at that time. And he watched God work um, firsthand. I think that's amazing. When you're there to watch God work firsthand, God will do amazing things. Um, one of the examples of somebody who I just wanted to bring up because I was just struck by it last week is uh, Jacob Crevier. Um, Jacob lost his wife a um, year and a half ago, give or take. And Jake didn't have any choice but to go through what happened in his life. Um, but Jake chose, I went to the hills with him and a couple other guys, and I, I just unpacked all the stuff that happened. And Jake is one of those guys who, um, he, he made a decision. It wasn't like it just happened to him. He made a decision that he was not going to let what happened to him turn him into something else. He just said, I'm just going to lean into what God's doing. And um, I don't know if you, for those of you who are at Harvard Sunday, if you saw his table, uh, God has provided for him and his family um, in so many ways. He, he, uh, he met a great girl. Her name is Jessica, who he married. And, and God has just taken um, his life and put it back together in a way that he never expected. And those words were genuine because I know, I know Jacob. And he was at Harvest Sunday giving Thanksgiving because he was there and he saw God work. He would be the first to tell you, I, didn't, I wasn't like a strong guy and then I just made it all happen. I was just there watching God work. And I think that's amazing. So I think that, that God um, brings us to these points where Thanksgiving is, is, is in our hearts when we go through difficult things. And I know some of you uh, today are going through difficult things. Um, we all go through seasons where uh, things are good, and then God challenges us with something new. Um, if you're in a, in a spot where this Thanksgiving was difficult, whether it's because you decided to do something, something hard or God called you to do it and it's not going well, or if it's something difficult happened to you, um, Remember to celebrate God's work in, in Thanksgiving and knowing that even if you're in a spot that's not easy, that's, that's difficult, or things like things are not going well, um, there's a bigger picture for that. So I just wanted to uh, throw up kind of the, the five things I've learned when I, when I read through Nehemiah during this study. Um, see problems as opportunities. Uh, make sure that you take time to take it to the Lord. Uh, don't be afraid to do the hard thing. Um, when you have a lot of problems along the way, don't be surprised. Nehemiah 
although he was frustrated, he was never surprised, uh, and then be there to watch God work. Um, I want to go back to the uh, Nehemiah 12. At the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, they sought the Levites in all their places to bring to Jerusalem celebration and gladness with thanksgiving and singing, with cymbals, harps, and lyres. The sons of singers gathered together the direct sounding, the districts around Jerusalem. So I just wanted to end with that. Um, when we go through a challenging time, we have things that don't go well in our lives, remember that this is coming in the end. Um, we recently uh, laid my grandma to rest to be with the Lord, and she's in a great celebration. There's always an end that ends in celebration. I think we need to remember that, whether it's here or, or in heaven. Um, and if we know that we go through this process, this process is normal. This process is designed by the Lord to bring him glory and to challenge us. I think that God can do amazing things. Um, what I want to leave you with is just a picture. Um, this is a picture of a castle. My wife and I were, had the privilege of going to, to Europe. Um, I think it was 2014 we went there. And um, life is a lot of work. And I was thinking about the people who built this castle, how much work that was. And, and a lot of these castles that are there, were, there was a lot of contestedness. So there's a lot of war around these castles. But somebody had to build these up, and they had to rebuild them when they got attacked. But, man, are they beautiful. Um, I don't know how many of you have been to Europe, but I never really expected it to be that beautiful as I, as I did when I got there. And so remember to thank the Lord if you're putting in bricks, if you're laboring, if it's not easy. Um, because he can make something beautiful, and we need to have faith in that. Um, and, and we need to give thanksgiving in that. So with that, I'm going to close us in prayer. Uh, God, I thank you for the story of Nehemiah. Um, I thank you for the example that he was in uh, a man who chose to follow you, uh, chose, who chose to let you work, chose to do the hard things. Um, God, I, I come before you today humbled knowing that I many times don't take this path, that I take an easier path. Um, Lord, help me and help us to be different than the world around us, uh, to do the things that you call us to, uh, even though they're difficult, even though we can't do them, but because you can do them, Lord. So, Lord, we give you thanks um, that we have so much hope um, and that we have so much to look forward to, Lord. pray this in your name. Amen.